to uh, a new episode of the Defiance Weekly Recap with the Defiant Print Team. Um, I'm Cami Russo, the founder. We have Alex and Owen, our staff reporters, and YYC Trader, our head of news, uh, leading this discussion of the week's biggest headlines in DeFi and crypto. So some of the things we'll be talking about is uh, this week's rally in the market with ETH leading the way. Um, we had it break 1900 uh, for the first time since August, um, outperforming Bitcoin. Uh, and then uh, the other topics we have are really roll up heavy with um, there was some Arbitrum governance drama following their anticipated airdrop. Uh, there's news on Optimism's uh, upgrade um, and Owen had a really good feature on uh, analyzing roll-up token um, use case and valuation. Uh, so those are just some of the uh, biggest headlines that we'll be talking about uh, in, in, the, in the live stream. So um, we'd appreciate a like and follow that way uh, YouTube uh, gods like us more um, and yeah, share with your friends uh, and also uh, use the comment section liberally uh, make sure to you know the, uh, ask us any questions about our reporting or uh, any any other comment you'd uh, you'd want us to highlight um and then before we get uh, to it uh, i just want to give a shout out to our sponsor arch they um they're sponsoring this live stream so thanks so much and stay tuned to learn how you can securely borrow against your crypto assets uh, with this project. Okay, so um, leading the way uh, is market's performance this week. Uh, Owen, you uh, you you covered this uh, with ETH cross, crossing 1900. Uh, so what was leading the rally? Yeah, so moderately quiet week in the markets, at least among the large caps, but we did see Ethereum cross 19 or uh, 1900 for the first time since August, which was interesting because we saw Bitcoin hit a nine month, which so Ethereum hit a nine month high. And then we saw Bitcoin hit a nine month high. I think it was about three weeks ago on the back. Of a lot of the bank failures that we saw. So it seems like ETH, uh, you know, I mean, trailing by three weeks, at least in terms of that very small nine month high uh, metric. Um, so th that that was kind of, a, you know, it, it's interesting, as as most folks watching probably know, Ethereum is going through its uh, quote unquote, Chappella upgrade next week on April 12th. So we're wondering which way people think ETH is going to swing once withdrawals unlock. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are wondering that. Um, I'm not sure if, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's, that's what's happening on the ETH side. I mean, I'm sure there's a more sophisticated analysis to be made uh, with regards to perp funding and what options are saying. Um, 
and then outside of E, we, you know, we had Dogecoin, you know, the very sophisticated uh, financial asset that it is, uh, um, <laughs> you know, uh, up 10%. I think that's, that's good for the most among any asset in the top 100 in terms of map, and that's largely off the equally sophisticated uh, move by the Twitter team to uh, replace its logo with a uh, Shiba Inu. So um, that's very high level uh, take of what we're seeing in the markets right now. Um, you know, Filecoin is up this week. It's up 5.1% today. Uh, Roll-up tokens are holding relatively steady, um, you know, kind of despite the story I wrote uh, yesterday. So um, yeah, that's the high level. I don't know if YYC is, you know, he's our, he's our real market master. So I don't know if you're seeing anything more uh, sophisticated than, than I am, but um, that that's, that's my um, a few things. I mean, uh, we had the jobs report this morning, right? That came out that was stronger than expected. So mm-hmm. we're seeing markets pull back a bit today. The dollar is up because um, a strong jobs report means the Fed has license to hike again in May at the next meeting. So I think that's uh, what's yeah. been uh, driving today's action, at least. But yeah, in terms of the rally. Uh, people are betting on a successful Shanghai upgrade Yeah, uh, is what it looks like. And yeah, we put out an awesome video about uh, the implications of uh, all that ETH being um, um, unlocked, right, essentially. So check that out if you um, haven't seen it already. Right on. Yeah, I kind of put you on the spot there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, rally leading up to these uh, Shanghai and Capella upgrades uh, with ETH, stake ETH being uh, unlocked for the first time in uh, two years, is it? Um, and so we're seeing kind of this um, ETH, uh, ETH outperformance versus Bitcoin uh, and uh, we have here uh, this bit about uh, Bitcoin dominance also. Um, it was uh, kind of, it was sliding uh, to some, do you remember Owen, what, what the low was for, for the Bitcoin dominance? But in any case, it was, uh, it was losing some ground after, um, after gaining all through uh, last year uh, in the bear market as Bitcoin often does, you know, people fly to the digital gold in in crypto. Um, So interesting that, you know, there is some real market reaction and expectation ahead of this major upgrade that will allow uh, validators to uh, unstake and withdraw uh, their ETH. Um, So, yeah, uh, we'll see whether that continues to drive ETH or, uh, as WC mentioned, it'll be back to a uh, macro uh, driving crypto uh, with this ex- expectation that uh, the Fed will, you know, may continue to continue, may continue to hike its, uh, you know, uh, rates and, and be on its more hawkish path as it, as it was um, in the previous months. Um, just, just one thing to add, Cami. So that, that mm-hmm. article went out on April 5th, and at the time, the FedWatch tool had a 
chance of it looked like it was a 56% chance of rates not going up, but now it has readjusted perhaps per the job report, which YYC talked about. So now it's looking like 67% of a, a chance of a 25 basis point hike. So just to yeah. give you guys the absolute latest on data. Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, um, um, it's a bit too early to say that, yes, just because the jobs report came good, um, the Fed's going to hike because we also have the banking issues in the background, right? They haven't gone away. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, higher rates is what caused the mess in the first place, right? Because uh, banks' bond, bond portfolios are worth a lot less than they were where, just a year ago because mm -hmm. uh, rates have come uh, higher so quickly yeah. that that also might play a role in the Fed's mind. You know, but yeah. again, seasonally, seasonally, we're approaching, you know, the sell in May and go away period. Mm -hmm. So um, it might just so happen that they decide, all right, you know, it's we still need to uh, get inflation under control and let's uh, roll the dice with the banking system. Yeah, I did talk to um, kind of an investor last week and he saying that, yeah, just that the banking crisis hasn't gone away and that you know, there's still a kind of a disparity between the deposit rate that banks are offering. Um, I'm not sure if he's talking businesses or just individuals, but relative to what's happening with treasuries. I mean, we're not, we don't watch that super closely, but it's, it, it will be interesting to see if the bank crisis is kind of a continually a, a slow motion train wreck as it may well be. So we'll see. Um, Adam Wild is saying, Banks going under is a great thing for crypto. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Um, I don't think crypto will be unscathed if uh, the banking system or the, uh, uh, you know, we have a repeat of 2008. I don't think anyone wants that, to be honest. Uh, we'd probably see uh, everything uh, taken to the woodshed. So, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to see that Bitcoin pump coming out of the, the bank's failure, you know, because we were, you know, I think Cami said it a couple of live streams ago. But yeah, we were waiting on that Bitcoin, uh, you know, value to prove itself during highly inflationary times. It didn't really show up. So um, it's interesting to see people kind of betting on Bitcoin as potentially this counterpoint to uh, the banking crisis. So maybe it helps Bitcoin and other assets. Um I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think um, I think it may be too early for it to be a, a good thing for crypto. Um, I think, you know, if, if we or when we get to the point that there there is a functioning crypto based economy and people are, you know, most people are earning their salaries in crypto and um, there's, uh, you know, there, there's just taxes being paid in crypto and you don't need to go to fiat at all. Uh, and you can just live your life uh, with Ethereum or Bitcoin or stable coins. Then maybe, yeah, like a, a final push uh, from fiat to crypto by like a huge bank failure would be a good thing for the space. If you could just like continue functioning in, in kind of the blockchain world. But 
uh, in the case where you know that's that's not happening yet and you still need um, um, to live you know at least most people live their lives in, in fiat and you need these like on ramps uh, then you know I, I don't I don't think something like like a crisis will be will be good for crypto uh, unfortunately I think it's uh, it would you know just push people to more stable assets um but you know we'll see like like owen was saying it was surprising to see that the the failure of these three banks uh, did spark a bitcoin rally and i think that also um i think that also uh, coincided with uh, stable coins uh, losing their peg um so that also pushed people to bitcoin i think because uh, I think naturally, in terms of crisis, people would go. People in crypto would go to stablecoins, um, but since at that time uh, stablecoins were also seen as risky, then Bitcoin was kind of the the biggest winner. So yeah, it's it was a, a surprising move. So I think um, I think you know it's 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 hard to predict what what actually will happen when one of these you know big uh, events and crises un unfold. Um, oh no, we lost Owen. Um, are you guys funded by SVB? No, we're not funded by SVB. Uh, we did have some ca cash in SVB, uh, but we were able to recover it. <laughs> so um, it, that was a, an interesting time uh, for us, uh, but we're, we're all good. Um, Bitcoin price is going up regardless of what I say. Uh, I agree. I have no impact on the Bitcoin price. Uh, I wish I did. Uh, I wish I could. Oh, just don't be so Bitcoin. modest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think long term, obviously, you know, we're all here because we believe in the space. Uh, we think long term, or at least I do, think that uh, crypto will continue gaining adoption and gaining in price. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying, like, whenever there's a huge economic crisis, people just fly to safety and crypto is just seen as a risk asset. It's just extremely volatile. So it, it's hard to say that uh, that'll, you know, be good for crypto if there's a big banking crisis. Um, yeah, we're seeing that with the, the rally in gold, right? It's above $2,000 an ounce again. Yeah. Uh, so that is definitely a flight to safety uh, trade, right? Yeah. And we have the bond market kind of... Uh, showing kind of signs of jitters right like the bond market vix is kind of at uh an extreme level right now pricing in like uh, some sort of event happening in the next 30 days or at least options traders are very uh, nervous about the next month mm -hmm. so that obviously coincides with the next rate hike this whole banking uh crisis if you want to call it that that's going on so yeah should be an interesting month yeah. And we have tax time in the U.S. as well, right? So we generally see some selling as people sell to kind of cover their obligations. But again, uh, most people probably lost money in 2022, so no taxes. Yeah, we were we were laughing about uh, this tweet by Bloomberg saying nobody paid crypto taxes for 2022, and like the comment section is just filled with people saying nobody made any gains last year so <laughs> there's no 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 taxes to pay 
Um, switching gears, uh, we had lots of um, drama around Arbitrum. Alex, you covered that that story. Super interesting um, governance story there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's like a reminder that even if you're a billion dollar company with access to some of the best uh, advice, legal and otherwise, in the world that you can still trip over your own feet when you're trying to decentralize and uh, hand control of a protocol off to its quote unquote community. So um, for everybody who doesn't know, Arbitrum launched its token ARB a couple of weeks ago. Uh, everybody, everybody, a lot of people have been waiting for this. Uh, it's a big deal in Arbitrum is the leading protocol in the layer two space. It's got about two thirds of the uh, market there. Um, and the technology is great, right? It's, I mean, there's a reason that it's, it's uh, like a clear first in, in the L2 race. Um, releasing the token was the big step toward decentralization. Now all of the, the people who were eligible to claim tokens would have a vote uh, and a say in where Arbitrum goes from here. The company that built Arbitrum off chain labs was kind of, uh, you know, it's like when the mama bird pushes the baby bird out of the nest, right? Um, the problem is that the very first order of business that came before the newly formed Arbitrum DAO, um, essentially what was being asked of the DAO had, some of it had already happened. So, uh, part of the idea for decentralization was there would be a DAO that makes decisions, but then there would be a foundation that helps to execute some of those decisions. Uh, the foundation would run a grants program. It would help uh, people building on Arbitrum uh, by distributing tokens to them and set, uh, stuff like that. Um, the foundation was asking for 750 million tokens, which is worth about a billion dollars. It seems as though those tokens had already been set aside for the foundation and 50 million of those tokens had already been sent to Binance. 10 million have been sold and used to pay off uh, debts the foundation had already accrued. So essentially, the foundation comes to the DAO and says, hey, could we get your permission to do X? And it turns out they had already done that. So, um, you know, folks uh, in the Arbitrum community saw it as a sham vote, were outraged. Arbitrum has been chastened. It's come back since and said, look, we screwed up. We didn't communicate this well. It wasn't really, uh, we weren't asking permission. We were asking for ratification of something that we thought we had made clear we were going to do. Um, why they chose to go that route, why they thought ratification was the best way to handle this is uh, still a mystery to me, but um, Arbitrum is going to break. It was, it was a big proposal. The $750 million for the DAO was just part of it. And so they said that they're going to break up uh, a lot of the parts of that proposal and reintroduce them as, as separate things to be voted on. Um, they've also committed to greater transparency around the foundation's activities. One of the issues was that the foundation would be handed $750 million tokens with not much of a sense of, you know, how it's using that money, uh, how exactly people can keep track of it. Um, so, you know, it's committed to regular transparency reports. It released uh, essentially like a budget proposal saying, you know, 
we estimate that we're going to need about $36 million a year. Here's why. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, it takes a while to build up trust. Arbitrum had earned that over the years with fantastic technology. And it's why people had really looked forward to the airdrop and it kind of screwed that up. It stumbled right out of the gate. And now it's going to be a bit of a slog to see how much of that it can win back um, through ongoing governance. Yeah, um, I think, you know, it, it was it was really surprising to see uh, just the, the controversy around uh, this this first vote, like like you said, Alex, it's it's a company or or an organization that just has so much experience um, in the space and uh, and had so much uh, trust from the ecosystem, and it just botched it so so quickly right out of the gate uh, from from their first proposal. Um, it. it I think it's like we, we've talked about how it's easy to lose proportions when you see so many kind of big money numbers in, in all the stories we report around crypto and DeFi. Um, but it's it's worth highlighting, you know, they, they were assigning basically themselves or at least the, the Arbor, they were assigning to the Arboretum Foundation a billion dollars and, you know, or, you know, they just like took 750 million. That's a huge amount. And um, and I don't believe there was enough uh, disclosures on how exactly, you know, those funds would be used. Like what, what accounts for 750 million? Um, so, yeah, I, I think it just, you know, highlights how uh, DAOs um, should the the whole idea behind them was it's a more transparent way of uh, organizing people it's a more transparent uh, framework for setting up companies so let's you know demand that from the biggest DAOs in this space they they should be more transparent uh, on ex how they're using uh, and and spending uh, money for a key piece of infrastructure in this space um the other thing to to note is that um, most times these funds are just allocated beforehand and they don't even go through a vote. So, you know, that's, that's a caveat there. I mean, at least they were asking for, even in, in this kind of shady, like offhanded way, they were asking uh, for permission to use these funds. Um, most times you just see uh, that tokens are allocated, you know, they that a piece of the uh, of the supply is set aside for the foundation, um, and nobody kind of says and anything, and there's no discussion so about it. What's so funny though is that had they done that, nobody would have cared, exactly. right? Like when they say from the get go, here's the breakdown. You know, I mean what say does anybody else have, right? It's like, okay, well, that's their decision to make. That's the breakdown. We accept that. But when they say the breakdown is, you know, the community gets this much, investors get this much, and then the DAO gets 4.25 billion tokens. And then when 
you actually look at the Dow Treasury, there's only 3.5 billion because they'd already separated out the other 750 million. It's like, wait, so you pulled a fast one on us, right? But it, it it's, and and I think I I buy the explanation like, oh, it was just a failure of communication. You know, we we made it clear in these things, but like nobody really looked at that. And it's also, it also kind of contradicts stuff we said elsewhere. So it's on us, you know, we just like, we screwed up. We should have communicated better. That makes sense to me. I don't necessarily think that they were doing anything super shady. They just, they communicated poorly and made the inexplicable decision not to just outline that distribution before the actual token launch, because then it wouldn't have been controversial. I mean, one of the things that they point out, and uh, this has been confirmed, is just how uh, an ecosystem foundation is standard among L1 and L2 blockchains, right? And the amount that's actually been set aside for the Arbitrum Foundation is in line with or less than the uh, percentage of tokens that have been set aside in other cases. So I think Polygon and Solana, for example, both have foundations that received a greater share of their respective tokens. I believe Optimisms was around five percent so a little bit less than the seven percent that the arbitrum foundation got but it's like none of this is unheard of or unusual it's just the, the, the way they went about doing it yeah yeah to me it's an inexplicable move to be honest because if they had just put it in the allocation before they handed out the free money no like you said no one would have cared uh you know everyone would have been happy with the airdrops you know they like sentiment to Arbitrum changed so quickly in just one week, right? <clears throat> like before this whole debacle, uh, it was no one, they, they could do no wrong, yeah. essentially, right? So yeah. f- even from just a marketing and optics perspective, it's what, it just makes no sense. Because yeah. now like the, the governance process will forever have this, uh, you know, uh, the first proposal is tainted or failed, right? You can't change yeah. that. Even though I believe they're trying to like remove references to AIP one from the documentation and stuff, but uh, the vote will always be there, right? It's on snapshot. So, I mean, it's not technically on chain, but yeah, it's um, always going to be there as a reminder. Yeah. And that, that's a good point. Why would I see the, the proposal itself, it went up for a vote. And uh, I think at the beginning of last weekend, it looked like it was poised to succeed. But after it got all this attention over the weekend, the tide quickly turned and it failed on Monday, I think with 76% of people who had cast votes in opposition. So, yeah. And that's another thing. They never announced the vote or like publicized it or made an announcement or anything. So which, which is why no one even knew about it until, like you said, it was like picked up uh, and on um, social media and then everyone started talking about it. Right. And those initial 20 odd million votes in favor, I don't know who they came from, but they were all big wallets. Right. So. Yeah. I wonder if they realized they made a mistake and just wanted to push it through real quick and then, you know, get to, yeah more i I don't know more public proposals because it is like 
yeah, your first proposal should have like some degree of, of ceremony in a way, right? Like, here we go. Like, let's, yeah, let's run this you decentralized know, organization where you get yeah. to put your ballot and free do. donuts at the table. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want a sticker or something. I want an Totally failure in communications. Uh, if they had just, you know, Given made it like a big deal about it and said, Hey guys, we just gave you a billion and a half dollars yeah. in head drops. Now let's get this foundation up and running. Yeah. And like, actually ask people to vote they would it would have gone through i'm pretty sure it would have just like sailed through in fact if they had just done it that's um, interesting like yeah it, it wasn't even about the vote it was yeah it was that it was kind of slid through in like a funny way yeah because like you would think it would like end up on their their twitter profile or something um you know like hey here's our first vote but do you um, think it was just the fact that people weren't invited to vote or or this issue with um with the funds allocated to to the foundation, like just this being buried in the proposal. It wasn't really buried. I mean, the proposal was up since when? The 15th or 16th of March? Even like a week before. From the moment the that the airdrop had been right? announced, that proposal so was in the government. If someone world. was really, uh, you know, that involved and wanted to keep on top of things, they could have read it and this could have been flagged uh, way back uh, before yeah. any of this happened, right? But I think that that was the main uh, thing that people took offense to was that it felt like even it, if if it was unintentional, it felt like it was being slipped through, uh, you know, on a weekend without any announcement. So it just felt like something shady was going on, you know, even though they might not have. Yeah. yeah. Um, Adam is saying... Uh... How many people get in crypto to vote or, or govern? Um, <laughs> Question. <laughs> <Adam. well>. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you know th th this is a problem. Like um, it's true. Yeah, like the, the vote was put up, um, and nobody, I think, or very very few people who got the airdrop actually took the time to to read through the proposal and um, and uh, and I don't think they were planning to participate. In, in this governance, I mean, we, we see just the low participation numbers for DAOs across the board. Um, and it, it's an issue and it, it really connects to uh, the story that uh, Owen wrote this week about right now these tokens, most of the tokens in DeFi, the, the only thing they offer is governance rights. And governance for what like it, it's a use case that nobody even or very few take advantage of and that's what is giving them these uh, billion dollar valuations so there's there's a big disconnect there like the, the the market is assigning such a huge value to governance via these tokens but uh, token holders aren't really enforcing it or using this uh, at all and and it, it was seen clearly here because this vote was put up for for weeks um nobody even noticed uh you know that that uh, the content of the proposal and then it took uh, i think it was uh, the uh, uh blockworks uh, uh kind of holder um i think right they, they were the ones who, yeah, yeah. who highlighted that uh you know, there was something, there was this 
uh, amount of money being allocated to to the DAO. So yeah, it's uh, it's basically it, it shows that DeFi and, and DAOs aren't working the way they're supposed to. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard. Like, I mean, I don't know who, I don't know. There are people who could talk about this, I think, much in a much more sophisticated way. But it's like, I don't know. Just like it, it, these are very these are very hard decisions, right? Like, I mean, like you need a, I mean, you traditional company like financial analysts and CFOs to make all these decisions, and it, it's just kind of. You know, and there's a reason you have, from my understanding, you know, like a board of directors who pays close attention and you kind of delegate voting power and, and, and stuff to these organizations because it's like most people don't quite have the time to kind of be able to kind of make these um, sophisticated you know, a, a decisions. So, I mean, I, I think MakerDAO is working on like kind of um, a sub DAO model. So you break things down to maybe uh, like pieces that you know, an average person could kind of have a informed vote about, but it's like, you know, I mean, it's the same with voting in the United States, not that many people vote. And it's just like, it's a lot of work to, you know, it's a lot of work to be an informed voter. Um, so yeah, it's just a, it, it's a, it's a tough problem. I don't like smash on Arbitrum exclusively because it is just like, it's a tough nut to crack and I've ever, you know, tried to launch a DAO. So Anyways. Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there's there's been this movement toward delegating your tokens for yeah. uh, like professional uh, voters. I yeah. think it, it's it's kind of like you know DAO politicians, and I think that's a good move. Like uh, the everyday person doesn't have time to be looking at all the proposals and studying them closely and, and participating in all the uh, votes that they're they're supposed to. So I think delegating your tokens to someone you trust will look after your incentives and and uh, have that person be be basically their job to be on top of uh, governance decisions um yeah. i think that'll be a a good move and we, we've seen that uh, that happen more and more uh, across DAOs. that idea of the DAO politician is very apt because i see these professional delegates you know and they they mm -hmm. exist on several blockchains at once right like this really is seemingly their business uh yeah. and they'll yeah. you know show up in a governance form and say this is our platform you know just the way that a political party or a politician would um and it's right. really interesting because yeah it's like you know i i might own some governance tokens as an investment but then i also care about the protocol and, and what happens to it and and believe that decisions made there will impact my investment but i'm, I'm just a guy i'm like you know i have no idea how to I don't know anything about tokenomics, about like all of these like weird in the weeds uh, mechanisms that the protocol uses to get better or whatever, right? So it's like you, you kind of need people like that. More specialized. Yeah. 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 Before I'm we start a platform, the... <laughs> I'm going to become a delegate with my, my platform will be I will vote for whatever pumps your bags the most. <laughs> That's what, sure you're supposed to do. Yeah. that's what you're supposed to do i mean that's what for shareholders in traditional companies pump those bags man anyways yeah. um okay before we get to the next story uh, let's uh, give a shout out another shout out to our sponsor arch uh, they, they there's a quick video 
where they, they'll show how you can leverage your crypto with them. Seamless loans for alternative assets. Introducing Arch. Arch enables you to obtain a single loan collateralized by your combined crypto holdings. All held securely and untouched by the number one SEC-regulated crypto custodian, BitGo. Choose between loans denominated in fiat U.S. dollars or USDC stablecoins and experience the confidence and flexibility that Arch provides to alternative asset investors. Um, all right. Thanks again, Art, for sponsoring uh, the weekly recap uh, and uh, all of you other projects, teams out there who uh, are, are looking to get your message out to your audiences, uh, reach out to us. Um, okay. And then we have more rollups news this week uh, with Optimism uh, getting ready for a, a major upgrade. Uh, Alex, you want to, I know that Sam had this story, but uh, you want to give a brief overview of it? Yeah, so Optimism's got a big upgrade on the way. It's called Bedrock. Um, folks in the Optimism team have been talking about it for a while, and the shortest version of what it's going to do is it's just going to make Optimism better. It's going to reduce the the fees for, for transacting and using the network. I mean, that's the big use case of, of an l2 right is that it's much cheaper to use in ethereum so it's going optimism is already much cheaper it's going to make it even cheaper than that um and then separately it's going to make it more evm compatible more compatible with the ethereum virtual machine meaning developers who are building on optimism will have to do less work to uh move an application that already exists on ethereum over to optimism they're going to have to tweak the existing code less and you know that's uh, the degree of evm compatibility is just like a huge issue for l2s right the easier you can make that the more seamless you can make it for developers to to move an application from ethereum to the l2 uh you're just gonna have a much easier time attracting developers attracting applications and no matter how performant a blockchain is it's no good if there are no applications on it right that's like the name of the game so um you know I think uh, the Optimism community is really excited about that. Nice. So Optimism and Arbitrum are uh, the biggest scaling platforms out there for Ethereum. They are the biggest uh, layer two tokens out there uh, with uh, OP and uh, ARB. And so Owen dove into the valuations of uh, these two tokens, um, which uh, together uh, have market caps of uh, 2 billion. But uh, like we were saying, the only thing that they uh, offer is the ability to vote in governance. And that's what's kind of driving these valuations. And so the question is like, is that justified? Um, Owen, do you want to talk about uh, this story? Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, we talked about a fair amount as a team internally, just kind of trying to pound or kind of, you know, trying to grind out what this story was about. Um, because yeah, I mean, now that Arbitrum launched, you know, you have this, yeah. I mean, like Cami said, optimism and the uh, ARB tokens are worth collectively now fully diluted value is over 20 million. 
and Brilliant. and you have all these uh you know more zk evms uh launching like there's like the optimism has the super chain which i'm not super up on it but like i do understand that that's gonna in increase block space um so that there, there's more there'll be more and more roll up and layer two solutions which are secured by Ethereum. And, and so it, it kind of seems like this big gold rush going on, but um, you know, there's just like a lot of competition coming and um, yeah, just like looking at these token valuations, it's like, you know, what, what supports them. And, you know, right now it's, it's fairly ambiguous. I mean, it's basically it's governance. And as we talked about, that's not necessarily the, you know, most, most compelling and just like, there's no, I mean, there's no cash flow, right? It's like, I, I, um, you know, for a while, I think you still can, but you know, you could stake sushi, get X sushi, and then you get a portion of trading fees. And so, you know, we just, we dug in and talked with some people about, you know, what are you, what are you really getting here? Because you're not, um, you know, you're not paying the transaction fees in, arb um or optimism or whatever and you're not using you're not staking those tokens to like get access to to be able to like run a sequencer because all the sequencers are centralized right now so it's just like it, it, it it's it's arguably the, the the tokens are overvalued currently given what given what we given like the current situation, I mean, there's like a, so much you could say about how things could change, like, especially with how things are marketed. Like, I mean, I mean, the, 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 cause the whole backdrop of this is the sec and I'm, I'm not an expert, but like, I, I, I know that, you know, adding a, an element whereby you can profit from a token from my understanding is more likely to, um, you know, expose people to, um, I think being classified as a security, if I may, I'm not a lawyer. Um, so that, that, that was basically what you're exploring. I'm, I'm not sure um, if I kind of tripped over my own shoes in explaining this, but um, yeah. And so it was just kind of interesting talking to a lot of people about potential use cases down the road for the tokens and, you know, and, and kind of how these layer twos are making money because they are certainly making money and they have users. Um, but, you know, how does that connect to the token? And I think Cammy used the word disconnect. I think that's a good one of just like, you know, there's this feeling and I'll stop, I'll get off my stuff preaching. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, you know, like there's this feeling that like tokens are stocks. And like, I think we just like conflate those in our heads still. And it's like, they're not, you know? So, um, yeah, like they don't necessarily right now, like give you access to the profits that come from the roll-ups. Um, so Anyways, uh, just kind of interesting exploring that, and it'll be very interesting to see where things go from here. Okay. So, yeah. I think the expectation is that with governance, you'll be able to vote your way um, into pro into getting access to to those profits. I think that's that's kind of the expectations that yeah. people have when when buying these tokens. It's like you you look at this chart, you see that wow, like these platforms are you know they, they have more activity than ethereum um yeah. they're they're making money um yeah. from you know activity on these platforms uh, and at some point when there's more 
regulatory certainty when uh, the sequencer is decentralized or you know whatever you know uh, you'll be able to uh, maybe make a governance proposal that says uh, some amount of those fees go back to uh, token holders i think that's kind of the general expectation but you know it's like when and if uh, that, that will happen I, there was an interesting comment in, in your story that says the reason why none of these sequencers are decentralized is because it's technically very hard to do and, and maybe you can explain a bit you know what actually is a sequencer like if that's kind yeah. of maybe yeah so at a high level a sequencer is like i think it has a it's a node which are basically you know bitcoin runs with a bunch of nodes as does ethereum these are the collective which make up which are processing blockchain transactions um and adding them to like the literal data structure that is a blockchain um and so a sequencer in the context of a roll-up is from my understanding it's it's kind of like a it's a privileged node which is ordering all, all the transactions together and then i believe posting them to layer one as as valid transactions um and so in, in so doing it, it it actually collects fees and i think also is able to benefit from b uh, that's what i i talked to david Hall about that um so those are the two sources of profit from the sequencer um hopefully yeah, that explanation so, was good yeah yeah so the idea is that if you decentralize that then token holders will be able to become validators in, in this uh, sequencer and get a yeah. portion of those fees and MEV yeah. revenue. But right. so far, you know, that's that's not the case. Uh, all sequencers yeah. for uh, layer twos, or at least for Arbitrum and Optimism, are centralized. Um, yeah. And right now, the only thing that the tokens give you access to is, is governance, um, yeah. which, you know, uh, it's really worth noting. It's because it's it's really on like the path towards getting some portion of of uh, those profits is is really uncertain. So, yeah. 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 I mean, and and you know, Uniswap has made some moves towards that, right? Like they're DeFi's biggest token, and right now they're still just for governance, and they're like they're working on the the fee switch, and they're they're trying different things, but. You know it's slow like uniswap has been around i mean arguably they didn't want to launch the uni token and sushi forced them to but like yeah they've been around for i mean what it's like you know two and two and a half years now so it, it it takes a while to uh i don't know get 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 something going that might actually uh generate revenue or a, a token hold. so yeah for sure so yeah definitely something to watch and um and not just for ARB and uh, and optimism tokens, but I think this this is a question that should be analyzed more across DeFi tokens, like the business model and, uh, and and token valuations aren't very very clear uh, right now. Um, I, you know, this is such an an emerging space that. Um, there are no fixed models in place on how to value these tokens. And um, and sometimes, yeah, like you take for granted that they will somehow be able to pass through 
uh, revenue over to token holders, but uh, yeah, it's not very clear. So, I mean, I think this will be just like an ongoing um, analysis that we do on various kind of types of, of tokens, like where, what's a business model, uh, where do they get their, their value from? Um, and I think, you know, it's like, I think people are like less, a, like not non-professional traders will just buy a token because the the, the they like the project or the, the the protocol is doing well um without doing much analysis um so it's 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 worth just taking you know just double clicking into kind of okay how how does these how do these tokens actually work um yeah 100%. yeah so yeah uh, moving on to a uh a, a different topic, uh, really interesting as well. Uh, Alex, you, you dug into this report by the US Treasury and some things were, you know, expected, you know, they were saying uh, all DeFi protocols are, are money transmitters, uh, but some things were less expected, uh, which, you know, it looks like the US Treasury is bullish on CK proofs, um, which was uh, interesting to see. So. Yeah, um, I'm really interested in zero knowledge technology and, and blockchain privacy. And last summer, when the U.S. government had sanctioned Tornado Cash, and uh, and when Dutch authorities arrested one of the Tornado Cash developers, it felt as though there was this war that was being waged all of a sudden against uh, against people who are building privacy-enhancing technology. And uh, at the time, I interviewed a bunch of people in that space, and the refrain that I heard wasn't one of defiance. It was more like, uh, eh, you know, we can, we can work it out, right? Like, this technology actually can be something that the government can embrace. We have these things called zero-knowledge proofs, which make it possible to, like, stay private like totally private the way if I send a message on signal signal can't even see my message, right. To stay totally private, but also to, um, to comply with regulations. Um, compliance typically reveals uh, or requires, uh, sharing sensitive data, you know, name, account numbers, ID numbers, stuff like that with zero knowledge technology, you can prove certain things without actually having to, to share the data that that proves them, right? It's it's a pretty far out concept, um, and, and this was the industry's line. And to my knowledge, I might be wrong about this. This report that came up from the Treasury Department this week was the first time that I saw the government agree, right? To, to see the government say, "Yeah, no, actually, that's that's right. Like, we can work together here. We can figure something out." Um, and it was. It was buried deep within the report. Um, it was not exactly a throwaway line, but it wasn't something that the authors lingered on. Nevertheless, uh, you know, they say we need to, there's a risk within DeFi uh, of, you know, sanctions evasions, money laundering. Uh, how can we, how can we address that? Well, there are a couple of things regulators can get more aggressive in monitoring DeFi protocols and, and uh, suing them if they feel like they're not compliant with the laws that 
uh, in their opinion, apply. Uh, but then we can also promote um, uh, compliance enhancing technology like ZK proofs. So um, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's that news is maybe, uh, maybe bittersweet, right? Because it's pointing towards a kind of like a crypto friendly solution, right? Like a crypto native solution to this problem of uh, the lack of compliance within the DeFi space. The fact that like, yeah, you know, if you're using just about any popular DeFi protocol, um, the only point at which you were required to KYC was when you probably purchased the tokens. And that's only if you're living in uh, select few countries that actually require that for the, for the financial institutions, right? If you're in, say, China, you don't have to actually furnish uh, some of that data, is my understanding. So um, it's a crypto native solution at the same time among like really hardcore advocates of user privacy, like really hardcore libertarians. Um, it's almost like a worst case scenario where uh, you can build this proactive compliance into everything. And then it becomes actually really easy for the government to dictate who can and can't access certain protocols because it, you know, it's like you don't have to give up your privacy, but, um, you know, if, if you don't meet the requirements that are built into the protocol, well, it can automatically reject you and there's no way around that. Is that making sense? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, it's interesting that it, it, it could be a crypto native uh, solution for DeFi to be compliant um, to US uh, money laundering laws, but at the same time, by applying these uh, technologies, you, you just potentially end up restricting, um, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, and and making the the tech not as permissionless as it was yeah. supposed to be. I mean that then it's not permissionless, right? It's because yeah. you if you're doing the anti money laundering anti money laundering KYC uh, combating financial terrorism stuff, then you're getting checked and you can only access certain things if you pass the check. I mean, that's effectively right. what the system is today. Like sometimes some really, there's some, some really like egregious abuses of power where certain random people for whatever reason can't create a bank account because they, you know, some overzealous, uh, you know, person at the bank didn't think they qualified or they can't send money somewhere for whatever reason. And, um, you know, so, so there's stuff like that, but it's like effectively be recreating that that permission system that we have today. It would be totally different in other ways, but the permissionless aspect would, would no longer be one of the, the features of DeFi. Yeah, um, I think at least uh, in, in this case, by using zero knowledge technology, you wouldn't have to. Um, you wouldn't have to KYC with the DeFi protocol right like it would be uh there would be like um, a list of sanctioned addresses entities people uh and then you'd be able to show a hash like a, a, a cryptographic proof that you're not on that list in order to use the DeFi protocol so i guess like 
at, at least there is, you know, your privacy, your information is preserved. You don't have to give up your information to do this. And, and you can still just trans, transact in a non-custodial way uh, because otherwise, like if, if you're doing, if you're, if DeFi has to, inf has to comply with KYC, then it's really not DeFi. Like then you have to really have a middleman taking, you know, people's information, uh, doing cross checks uh, in, in order for users to, to access protocols. But um, in this way, at least you, you maintain the non-custodial aspect of DeFi and you preserve uh, people's privacy. So it's, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but I think it, it's it, a compromise. It could be a good middle, middle ground. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. you know, so, some compromises were probably going to have to be made. Um, the, 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 the report also very briefly touches on the, like what I guess I'd call the crypto dream, right? It, the report notes that um, there are several challenges when it comes to anti-money laundering within DeFi. Uh, one of the growing challenges is uh, the fact that it's becoming more and more, I mean, it's still super rare. I think everybody knows that, but it's becoming more and more common for people to be able to use crypto to actually pay for things. And in a world where, where everything is kind of happening on chain, then then the whole anti-money laundering thing, I mean, the government would just have to throw up its hands and be like, all right, we lost. Because right now it's main way of checking if somebody is or is not like a, a terrorist or a crook or something before they access crypto is when they buy the crypto through a centralized exchange like Coinbase, right? That's mm -hmm. like the, the choke point, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. where they can actually kind of do the screening. Um, so they're clearly not thrilled about that the growing adoption of crypto is as a as a means of paying for goods and services but i wonder if, if you can take a more like a tech-centric approach um to just like the entire process of um you know not not just like this this aspect of using zero knowledge proofs to to see, um, you know, to, to do AML checks, but just if, if the entire economy is on chain, you could, you could have more like crypto native solutions across the board. Uh, and, and maybe it's even useful for, for law enforcement to, to have everything be on chain because, you know, like you can track and addresses transactions um you can um it's just like it's harder to to hide money that way if like if, if everything's on chain as long as you identify uh, who an address belongs to you can have like the entire financial history um assuming well assuming that it remains public right so it's like they they note that one potential um issue is going to be private blockchains and so 
first thing that comes to mind for me is Aztec, which is building its its Ethereum roll-up that's meant to be fully private. So it's like that's a situation where absent certain other technology that's built in, it would be like, oh, yeah, we can't actually see the transaction history of people who are using that network. Now, Aztec also happens to be one of those companies that told me we can have our cake and eat it too. We can build in this uh, technology to essentially make it possible to prove you're not a bad actor without giving up that that privacy. So law enforcement in that situation might not have access to a whole person's, fin- person's financial history, but they would know... Uh, I think it's like you have access to some some pieces of information, right? It's like you know that they were like an address uh, transacted with another address, but you can't see how much that address mm-hmm. holds or like what the okay. amount. So it's like um, Ccash works the same way. So you 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 can't see some information, but not not oh. everything, like like on Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. So I think that's. You know, I think it, 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 it can work. Like, I'm, I'm optimistic on this report, um, I think, is is a reason to be even more optimistic of, like, law enforcement actually seeing the benefits of crypto and not just kind of the, the, the how you can kind of be shady with it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think we are, we're coming up uh, on on time and I'll just do a quick run through uh, the other headlines that we had this week. So we had um, layer, layer zero raising its series B round valued at a uh, three, three billion um, really interesting proposition. Uh, this project that wants to make uh, different blockchains uh, interoperable. Uh, we had Gem NFT aggregators rebranding as uh, OpenSea Pro. Um, PancakeSwap V3 uh, launching on uh, BNB. Uh, so this is basically a copy of Uniswap V3 uh, coming just like a couple of days after um, the, the Uniswap uh, business license expires. Uh, and finally, there, there's this new kind of next generation of DEXs that's uh, order book based instead of liquidity pool based, uh, coming to uh, different uh, L2s. So, yeah, really, uh, really interesting week, uh, layer two heavy week uh, with uh, market action around ETH and leading up to, to the upgrade. Um, anything else uh, that I I should add, or do you guys want to add before we, we wrap up? I think I'm good. I think we hit main main topics. Yeah, yeah I think we're good. With the OpenSea announcement, uh, everyone who's used Gem in the past can claim a free NFT that's trading at around 0.04 ETH. So if you have and you haven't claimed it yet, go for it. Nice. All right. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And... Uh, Yeah, we'll see you again next week. Have a great weekend. All right. All right. And have.